On this Star Wars episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses The Mandalorian, Season 2. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album, and sometimes Star Wars too. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this Star Wars episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we finish up Season 2 of The Mandalorian. After a little uh, little impromptu bonus episode coverage that uh, just kind of popped up out of nowhere, here we are to discuss the second season of The Mandalorian, or if I can count correctly, chapters 9 through 16. Nice. Indeed. So now we can name Baby Yoda Grogu, we can, as it were. We can call we can him refer Grogu, to him. so spoilers on. For uh, for anyone mm-hmm. who has not yet seen season two of The Mandalorian, and I don't know how you could not have seen it, um, we will be spoiling absolutely everything that we can think of to spoil. So if you haven't seen it and want to watch it without being spoiled, stop listening now and go back and, and watch it and then come back and, and, and check us out. But Paul, to your point, yes, we now know that Baby Yoda is in fact called Grogu. And quite frankly, in the second episode, I think it's the second episode, he's he's um, he's exposed to be a bit of a monster. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, a lot of controversy in season two around everyone's favorite plaything, all because he was a little hungry. He was a little hungry, but I mean, it was you know th- that was the last brood of that particular species, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Grogu's just popping them down like they're M and M's at Christmas time, man. It's true. It's true. And then he steals cookies off a kid's desk. He did. He's a little monster. He yeah. he's driven by hunger. He's a cute little monster, but he's a little monster. <laughs> yes. Which may not bode well f- the fact that he has Jedi powers. Mm. I mean, if he can't even control his emotions around you know tasty little eggs, right or Mm-hmm. Or stealing cookies from you know a classmate that he barely knows. Yeah, I guess I. I mean, it is funny, and I guess you know everyone can relate with food. The, the thing about about Grogu is, you know, right? I mean, you can't deny that the damn thing's cute. And I believe I made some some comments in the last episode about you know some of the animation in the first season was a little lacking i think they did a much better job in season 2 of of animating the character of grogu and making it much more believable and there also seemed to be some sort of you know development in terms of like you would see with you know a normal child he started vocalizing more and more um you know there was there was more interaction with the other characters um so, you know, I think they did overall a much better job of that. And, you know, in some cases, I, I'm 
you know, I, I'm I'm no movie maker or or you know TV maker or whatever. But clearly, you know, some of it is you know designed to play up on that cuteness. Some of it is designed for for comedic effect. But just you know, maybe I'm overly sensitive. But I mean, <laughs> when when he would just watching him suck down those eggs, like the yeah. first time, it's funny, and then when you know you they continue to emphasize the importance of these eggs and he keeps doing it and yeah you know what a weird when 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 the mandalorian's like looking at him and saying don't do it and he's like (laughs) yeah (laughs) like you know it's it it, i i i I have to admit at risk of 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 you know being the dick of the palaver i at the very last scene where he like pulled it out of his like his like uh and then ate it. I laughed my ass off at that. I thought yeah. that was hysterical. Well, it, it is funny, but it's just, yeah, and and it's all. I guess it's part of the suspension of disbelief. And maybe, yeah, maybe this this speaks to again why the Mandalorian is so good because it if that had happened in episode nine, the rise of Skywalker, I, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it because there's so much suspension of disbelief, but. I think the Mandalorian, the 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 world created is so genuine that mm-hmm. you, you feel like there's actually some consequence here, right? Yeah. I first I, felt that now that we're talking about food in season <laughs> one when we first saw the roasted Kowakian monkey lizard. I'm uh, like, they're not going to eat that thing, are they? And they are. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured, you know, how they, they were probably sitting around the writer's table saying, how can we outdo the Kowakian monkey lizard? That's a good point, Ken. I forgot about that. Um, the the part about it that I think I found somewhat amusing, and I don't know that we really talked about this uh, last last time, but the one of the themes in The Mandalorian that continuously goes is like caregiving and parenthood type mm-hmm. of thing, the, the parent-child relationship. And I think the whole egg eating sort of thing is what struck the chord of humor to me because clearly Mando realizes how important this is and how important it is for Grogu to not eat the eggs. And yet, Grogu is eating the eggs every chance that he can get. And I, you know, I just find that to, I just found it to be quite amusing on, on that perspective. I don't honestly remember how we dealt with this last week. And I don't know how we want to deal, you know, with, with this season overall, but. So I would like to begin by the airing of my grievances about season two. Oh, it's Festivus. All right. (laughs) It's going to be an airing of grievances. Because. Mm-hmm. Nothing like so, I, and I think I mentioned this a little bit in in our recap of episode or uh, season one. Is that one of the most annoying tropes of cable episodes or ep- uh, cable? What do you call these series? Mm-hmm. Is is when the plot gets delayed for different things. So, in most of the time, in like in like things like The Sopranos. And in like Boardwalk Empire, the main plot gets derailed sometimes for an entire season so we can bring in another character and present another group of challenges. 
that really don't have anything to do with the main arc of anybody's character. They're just there for a celebrity guest and a delay of, of the plot. Just to basically, it's basically fodder. Mm-hmm. And and Ozark is is one of probably the most egregious applications of this, where like it starts off fun because each episode they have like a different challenge they have to solve. But after a while, it gets to the point where all you're doing is solving challenges that have nothing to do with getting you to the to the plot. So it's a fine line and people may disagree, but to me, this is the, the thing that turns me off the most of series. And here you go in season two of the Mandalorian. The first four episodes are nothing except delay of the plot so that Mando, Mando can solve some other challenge. So episode one, Oh, I can help you get to where you want to get to, but first you have to, help us with the Tusken Raiders and kill this massive sea snake. Oh, the crate dragons are amazing. Yes. The crate dragon. Exactly. Then number two, well, we can help you get, find the Jedi or find more like your kind, but all you need to do is take this passenger across, (laughs) across the thing. And in the, in between, we're going to have like snow spiders attack you. And then, then the next episode, it's like, okay, yes, we found the Mandalorians. We can help you find the Jedi. But first, you have to help us overthrow this uh, Imperial shuttle with all these weapons. Okay, we do that. Then we get to go to... Uh, we, we, we know where we need to go to to find the Jedi, but we need help. So we're going to go back to our friends. And, oh, we can help you, but first... We have to demolish this old Imperial installation. It's kind of like being in a band and like you want to do the one gig, but you have to do the open mic benefit first. You know what I mean? If you just do this one open mic benefit, that's going to open all the other doors that you need. And and, so, and and Paul, I mean, I, I can remember when I first started watching season two, making that very beef. Yeah. It, It was like, you know, it was, yeah, it was all these sort of secondary tasks that were distracting from the thing, and and much like as often happens, it 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 ultimately dissolved into nothing anyway. Now, Bingo. now there are some interesting ways in which it actually, you know, uh, we could argue that it was useful, but you know, the biggest <laughs> the biggest example of that that I have is the. The Sopranos, I believe it was season two or three, with the stupid lamp in the basement. They spent, you know, two entire episodes for the FBI to get this lamp in the basement. And ultimately, the lamp got taken by Meadow to school, and they never got anything useful off of it. It was just stupid. Yep. Yep. um, Yeah. I mean, so so here's some, some irony with this. One of the things that really helped was when... In episode three, Bo-Katan takes her helmet off, and I'm like, oh, I know this person. Who is this person? I know this person. Who is this person? And for like half the episode, I'm like, and I wanted to look, I wanted to Google it to see who it was, but I, I was like, nope, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And the moment that that I realized it was Starbuck from the, from the Battlestar Galactic reboot, I was like, oh my God, this is great. So that, that helped that that part because that that was very cool and even to some degree when 
when, in my opinion, the Mandalorian season two really takes off, which is uh, chapter 13, when we meet Ahsoka, which was which was teased out before this was even released. We knew we were going to we were going to meet Ahsoka. And even that episode turns out to be uh, it, it, it definitely moves the plot forward. But it still brings you to this point where he needs to do more, right, to get to get to there. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's just another red herring. Yeah. But here's the f- amazing thing. Nothing in the Star Wars universe has made me interested at all into diving into the current canon and going back to look at the Clone Wars cartoons or Rebels cartoons. Nothing. Until chapter 13 and when chapter 13 happened and it started to connect chapter 13 to chapter 11 to shit that i saw in han solo uh this han solo movie i I was like okay i started watching youtube and i was like i can't believe it i'm gonna actually have to start watching (laughs) the clone wars and rebels and i started watching those damn cartoons and it's like talk about suspension of disbelief I'm like 100% in when I'm watching this. I I don't even realize I'm watching a cartoon. I'm just watching the Star Wars saga unfold yeah. in front of me. So uh, can we have a word for Bo-Katan uh, voiced by Katie Sackhoff? Um, I mean, it, 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 it's a good character. It's an, maybe an underused character, but also hard to like. And like the character is so stiff. It's like the lady who shows up to casual day at the office with fake eyelashes on. You know what I mean? There's something very formal and, and odd about the character. I, I, I don't know what to say about that because I don't know if that's Katie Sackhoff or if that's, you know, the way the character was written. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Before we, we get too far, though, Paul, are there any other grievances that need to be aired? <laughs> no, those are the only grievances. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> so, that I have. But I, I will say, Ken, I, I agree with what you're saying about Bogatan. I think for me personally, the fact that Katie Sackhoff is playing Bogatan makes up for pretty much just anything that could possibly happen because <laughs> I think she's I mean, the affinity that I have for her for her her playing Starbuck in the Battlestar Galactic reboot o- overcomes anything else going on with that character. There you go. So we've got a lot of places to go here, right? Because you know, in, in season one, we had uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, which was a freaking coup. And he really gets to sort of flex a little bit of muscle in the back half of this season as well, which is well, actually in, in, in the beginning and the end, um, which is is fascinating. But but now you've got Katie Sackhoff, who's a big deal. Um, obviously, we have Carl Weathers. But for me, and and I know I agree with you in terms of you know, a lot of this this distracting sidetrack thing. But when Timothy Oliphant took off that helmet in in chapter nine, I just about crapped my pants. And because I love Timothy Oliphant. I think he's fantastic. Mm. What is fascinating about Timothy Oliphant is that this is now the third instance where he basically plays the same character in completely different milieus. <laughs> so he was he was Seth Bullock in um in Deadwood, where he was absolutely spectacular. He was um, Raylan Givens in Justified, where he was a U.S. Marshal in Kentucky in Modern World. 
absolutely spectacular, essentially the same character, just in a different time period. And now he's playing, you know, the law man gunslinger, you know, in the, in the space Wild West. Same thing, just completely different things. But Timothy Oliphant does it so freaking well. It, it's phenomenal. And so, so you've got, you know, you've got these, this sort of guest star thing going on. Another interesting aspect of, of chapter nine with the crate dragon and everything else. And, and so, Paul, that you're talking about, you know, how they're pulling in all of the existing canon, such as it is. This is another great example. You guys probably don't recall. I believe it was either spring break of 2020 or in the summer of 2020 when we went to to Nashville, my kids and I, and we listened to, we downloaded a, you know, I gave them a couple of options of books and there's this, you know, current book called Kenobi, which purports to, you know, deal with, with Obi-Wan's early time on Tatooine and the crate dragon becomes a big part of all of that. So it introduces mm. this idea of the crate dragon and it also delves a little bit into some of the Tusken Raider culture a little bit. So whereas prior to that, the Tusken Raiders were always um, just presented as almost, you know, menacing. Yeah. You know, primitive animals, if you will, you know, in, in this Kenobi book, which overall is terrible, by the way, don't read it. It's not, it's not very good, <laughs> um, but it, it does speak to some of this. And so a lot of the, the factors in chapter nine, really drew in in my experience from that Kenobi book and it was interesting to see how huh. that went. Um so I thought I thought that was interesting. Now the other sort of overarching point that I I want to make that kind of fits in here with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about and I teased this out in the last episode. In season 1 there's a lot of time of building up the rules of the Mandalorian and and this code by which Mando and I forget his name it's Din Djarin, how this this code by which he operates, and they they instill that very strongly throughout season one, and you know so in chapter nine he meets Timothy Oliphant's character, and the first thing he does is take off his mask, and he's like, "Wait, you're not a Mandalorian? What the <clears> hell?" <throat> And then, so he goes off in search of other Mandalorians, and he's saved by this group of, of Mandalorians. Um, and I'm interested, by the way, to note that the female Mandalorians have a different visor configuration than mm. the males. Mm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they seem very Mandalorian-like until they take off their helmets. And he's like, wait a second, you're not Mandalorians either. And mm-hmm. they and you know Bo-Katan shoots back. Oh, he's one of these religious zealot wackadoodles, right? And 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 so right there, you know, you get this. Wait a second. Everything that that Din Djarin has been thinking, you know, that's his perception. There are other people who also feel that they are Mandalorian that have a completely different perception. You know, again, the easiest way to think about this. Well, there are a bunch of different ways, but for me, the the thing that pops up is, you know, how many different Christian denominations are there? There's yep. a lot. Mm. You know, you can be a Catholic, you can be a Baptist, 
You can be, you know, a Lutheran, and you all purport to be the same thing and follow the same God, but you do it in entirely different ways. Well, mm-hmm. some some think that some of the others are going to hell. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and 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 you know, so, but but again, it's the what I really like about this particular arc, and and it it fits into the whole the whole fatherhood thing and and and, and nurturing and all of that. It starts to open the door for for him to start to make these choices. So that when you get into chapter 15, mm. you know, he's he's willing to to bend the rules, you know, as as his attachment to Grogu grows and Grogu becomes more important to him, he is willing to subvert, you know, these what we we come to find out are arbitrary rules in order to 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 you know to meet the needs of that relationship which that to me is very very powerful in 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 we'll you know jump ahead here but in in chapter 15 when he takes off that helmet to go into the cantina to to get that information that was shocking yeah absolutely shocking and in a, in an in an exhilarating way, it was mm. like, wow, that was fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, Joe. I, the whole time I was thinking about the end when he takes his helmet off to say goodbye to Grogu. Yeah. I had completely forgotten about when he took it off before. Uh, that is, that was, that's right. Wow. Wow. You know, and and, and the, the character he's with, and I always, you know, I, I just can't remember all the, the names, but the, the convict guy who helped him get in, he was great after he shot the Imperial guy. And he's like, look, you did what you had to do. I never saw your face. You know, there was there was something so likable <laughs> yeah. about that that character in that episode. He was a total dickhead the first time you saw him um, last season in The Prisoner. But, right, right, you right. know, in this Go episode, he, he was he was shooting straight with everything about his commentary. It was a very snarky way to say it, but it was, I just, I found that's the kind of thing that I kind of relate to. And, and I'm fixated yeah. on chapter 15, but because I think it's probably in, in my estimation, the best episode. What's really shocking about that is you have this, that moment that I talked about that for me is, is emotionally very powerful and driving from a character development point. And but you also have that scene where they're they're driving you know the the big truck you know and the guys are trying to blow it up and everything else. I generally don't prefer you know these exciting action sequences or or things of that nature. Mm. I would much rather have you know a lot of exposition and dialogue and character development. That's what that's what gets me going. But I thought in terms of action scenes, that was so incredibly well done. You know, in in terms of setting up the relative danger involved, the execution of of saving the day, um, you know, it, there there was just a lot of different aspects. The visuals I thought were extremely compelling in that sequence, and it was so well done. And what was really fascinating, you know, in in terms of storytelling, you get so invested in in them delivering this truck that they get there and. You know, you see the Empire celebrating something. Mm-hmm. You're celebrating along with them because, 
you know, much like, you know, our two, our two protagonists and, and, you know, they're just trying to, you know, maintain their cover, but you get invested in, in doing your job, so to speak. Yeah. And, and it doesn't last long, but, but for that split, you know, that, that short moment, you know, you get to see the other side of the coin, which is again, something else that that other character talked about it. it, it I just, I find that, that whole thing to be fascinating. Mm. Nice. At this point, we know kind of where the story is headed, but you warned us about the big nothings in the beginning of this episode, Joe. And I have to ask the question, as we're building this all up, is Moff Gideon a big nothing? He certainly seems like it, doesn't he? Mm. You know, there's a lot of... There's, there's a lot of Snoke in Moff Gideon. Yeah, <laughs> no fire. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's interesting that you say it, you bring up Snoke because, and and stop me or just cut this out. But basically, what I think what we're all waiting for is to see the connection between Moff Gideon running experiments on Grogu mm -hmm. to extract his Jedi blood that he is using to revive help survive or help regenerate the emperor mm -hmm. who is also creating a clone of snoke to act on his behalf to infiltrate luke skywalker's uh, jedi team and turn ben solo over to the dark side so Ooh, i like strangely it. Mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. all connected it is. And, and and that's the thing, right? And, and it goes back to this Kenobi thing. The we, we spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about how the Mandalorian was, you know, in qualitative terms, better, quote unquote, than the, the sequel trilogy of movies. But but they they do such a good job of of integrating all of the canon material that they have available to them. It's it's really quite quite amazing and you know if they follow this to your to your guys point you know it it may eventually make some of that more palatable or believable there you go yeah the the thing i'm waiting for and and it was it was a tease and i forget uh which chapter it was on i think it was when when Bokatan first shows up because she's the one who asked the question but grand admiral thrawn is invoked yes and man, did my ears go up. I'm like, Grand Admiral um, Thrawn, what? Right. Because, like, you know, most, a lot of, of Star Wars fans are fixated on Boba Fett, and we'll have to get to Boba Fett in a minute. I am absolutely 100% fixated on Grand Admiral Thrawn. I love Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I think he, he sh I think he shows up in the Clone Wars at some point, but I don't think that Grand Admiral Thrawn has ever appeared in any sort of live action. Um, Correct environment. Yeah. So I yeah. am thrilled to see how they might manage that one. Well, that as a newbie, help me out. Is he human? He is not human. He is of a race called, I believe you pronounce it, Chis or Chice. He basically he's humanoid, but he has very blue skin and glowing red eyes. He's like from the planet Deslock. From our old Star Blazers day, I, I believe those guys were all blue, weren't they? The Gamelons. The Gamelons. That's it. 
Des, wasn't Des, Des Lock? Des Lock, Des Lock, Des Lock was the leader of the Gamelons, I Des guess. Des Lock right? was the leader of the Gamelons. How, how much of a mindfuck was that when you were like 12 or, or 11 or 10? And you finally, after all those weeks of watching Star Blazers, and they finally made it to that planet that had the Cosmo DNA. Yeah. And the planet was right next to Deslock. Yep. Right? How about Gamelon or whatever? Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Um, Only wow. 184 days left. Will they make it? Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, that, that was just the best. And there's a live action movie of Star Blazers, but it was, I believe it was made in Japan. Really? And there's like the, the version that I saw of it had no subtitles. Oh, that's so it, it was. And I remember the, the, my friend who, who I think he sent it to me on Dropbox. And I was like, dude, there are no subtitles. And he was like, well, you know the story, don't you? And I was like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know Japanese. <laughs> and, and it's really funny that you bring that up because honest to God, and I'm not making this up. I was making the kids beds on Friday before they came over. And I was thinking about Star Blazers, and I was going to ask you guys if any of you watched it as well and loved it as much as I did, and I was wondering if I should go and try to watch Star Blazers. But that's not oh, here there. I have, I did, and I think there are a couple of YouTube playlists that have like all of the cartoons um, on there for I, your enjoyment. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I got there. Because I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about Katie Sackhoff, which got me thinking about Battlestar Galactica and how when I tried to watch the original Battlestar Galactica, it was so abysmally bad I couldn't watch it. And wow. I wondered if Star Blazers was as good as I remember it. That's oh, how I got there. There you go. It couldn't have possibly been as good as we remember it. I it, mean, it, it couldn't be because I remember that being spectacular. But yeah, Battle, yeah. the original Battlestar Galactica is horrifically terrible. Well, it was a Sunday night, you know, show, TV show in from like what 1980, 1979. Yeah. Um to your point, Joe, in that episode when Ahsoka gets to the end of that battle and she looks at her adversary whose name I can't remember and says, "Tell me, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn?" I literally <laughs> got chills. Yeah. Uh at, when when she said that, I was just like, "Wow." And I thought for a second that that's where we were headed in the Mandalorian. But me too. And and it turns out that no, it's just going to be another episode or another another show. Which there's also going to be another show about Boba Fett. Yeah. And uh, ab about twenty other things. Which leads to the question of where is the Mandalorian going to go from here? Let's, I mean that that could be a question for later. Yeah, yeah. But I mean let's let's talk Boba Fett for for a second. Okay. One quick thing. I there was a meme that I that I had that I just. Oh, and it was around episode 15 when they were all watching with great anticipation to understand who the Jedi was that was coming into the the ship and, and beating all the, and it was, it, it basically had something to do with like all of this great, you know, technology in the star Wars universe on this Imperial cruiser or whatever it was. And they're like, yet they're still watching the security camera through a 1975 TSR 80 <laughs> monitor. <laughs> I love that. I love that. We have holograms, but our TVs are still shit. <laughs> that is funny. I love it. Yeah. I hadn't actually put those two together, but that makes a lot of sense. I think it's just the ethos of the original movie. I, I, th yeah, I get chills sure. when I see those little monitors. It's so cool. 
Well, I, I like it yeah. how they've recreate the sort of simple, you know, graphic displays, but in very slick ways. You know, it's I, I think I like the way that they continually try to sort of recreate that appropriately, but in a way that looks believable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you know, again, since we we've, we've got all of our spoilers on. You know, Boba Fett shows himself at the end of Chapter 9. And I yeah. have to admit that the first time I watched this, I didn't catch it. I mean, you clearly see him, but I just, I didn't remember him as a as a face well enough to go, oh, shit, you know, that's probably Boba Fett or a clone or whatever you would have recognized him as. Um, but... You know, clearly he's there, and so I, I should not have been surprised when when Boba Fett does in fact show up, and uh, you know I I thought that was was kind of fun, and, and it was interesting the way they utilized the Mandalorian Creed. So we talked earlier about you know the different rules, how people interpret the rules of of being a Mandalorian, yes. but apparently yeah. this this whole honor code thing is is one of the non-negotiables so you know and and again it's it's a it's a total easter egg fan service contrived situation but you know and and we're ultimately setting up boba fett to have his own show so we've got to spend some quality time with him but you know they set it up where boba fett's like okay i proved you that the armor's mine thanks that's great but i didn't do what i said i was going to do so i've got to help you out and yep. so, so Boba mm -hmm. Fett gets to hang around and, you know, it's interesting the way they utilize him and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's, it's odd. Like the first time he puts on the armor, he looks visibly fat yes. and, and, and the armor doesn't seem to fit quite right. And right. He's, it's all janked up and, and everything else. And then when he shows up later on, and he has the 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 showdown with with Bo-Katan's little you know bandmate. He seems you know he's got the the new paint job on. He looks slick. He looks thinner. It seems to fit better. You know, it's it's interesting. Is Fennec the woman like bounty that they went and they um, like he went with a kid like the the younger quote unquote bounty hunter was trying to get into the the guild. And she becomes like sort of Boba Fett's partner, right? Is that Fennec? Is that, do I have that character name right? I think that's who it is. She's like a badass. Ming-Na Wen is the name of the actress. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, I, I like that. I like that Boba Fett has a sidekick. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, we could do a better job of crediting actors. And while we're at it, we could do a better job of crediting directors. That, you know, Like season one, it's mostly Jon Favreau, but it's really interesting where Dave Filoni crops up and that's for the the Jedi episode and it's you know very pivotal to the story yeah. we just talked about you know the end is the Grand Admiral Thrawn easter egg and and the and the other one in the season 2 that is not directed by John Favreau is the one with uh Rick Famuyiwa and that is uh, 15, which is a pretty powerful episode. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is Carl Weathers directed uh, one of the, the one that he was in where they had to take the siege of the 
old yes. Imperial installation. The, so, that, that, and that was a pretty badass episode that worked out yeah. nicely. There was some there there were some uh, great moments that I that I think are Carl Weathers moments, like stormtroopers falling from like high above and crashing down onto the onto the ground. Yeah. That, that was uh, as much of that episode was a distraction. It was uh, well done. I, the, 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 I really gave Carl Weathers props in our previous episode in regard to season one. The only place he, his character lost me in season two is, you know, he started sporting a gray beard at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like you get the COVID version of Carl Weathers. <laughs> Ahsoka, interesting. And I think we talked about this maybe offline or I've talked with someone about it. When we talk about the Clone Wars or when I think about the Clone Wars, the Clone Wars was interesting in that it was a cartoon and it presented cartoon versions of all these characters who had been seen in live action. Whereas here, this is the first time you have Ahsoka who only ever appeared as a character in the Clone Wars. Right. And so you have a cartoon that now has to be brought to life by a human actor, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what maybe there's something about their their effects budget or what, um, but this and the you know the the Luke Skywalker anti aging effect on, on the end. Th- there's something that it, you know it's really cl- it's good and it's really close, but it's not quite there, you know. But I I, I quibble. I really don't care that much. Yeah. Um, and and I ultimately found Ahsoka to be you know. Somewhat believable. I, you know, to your airing of grievances, Paul, I did find that episode or that chapter with Ahsoka to be very frustrating in the fact that she was just not very helpful at all. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, I can't do this, but, you know, maybe someone else is willing to give you. Yeah, a, she's a just part of the choose your own adventure. Yeah. Uh, that is the Mandalorian season two. However, recently, so not ever watching any of the Clone Wars or Rebels prior to, to now, um, I, I totally was with you in that, in that same frustration. Like, you would think that Ahsoka, you know, seeing Grogu and, and like, communicating with him yeah. would be like, oh, my God, like, I've got to do everything I can possibly do to help. But it, but it turns out that... And and I don't know that I don't know all of the details because I'm still piecing it together from YouTube videos because I haven't you know I'm still working my way through the cartoons. But Ahsoka apparently at some point in time was completely frustrated by the Jedi and left the Jedi Order. And 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 so while she may have come back to help and, and done some things, I don't know that in this particular situation, I don't know in this time frame if she's really a Jedi per se. Right. I don't think she technically is, but yeah. So, you know, I didn't realize that when I was watching the episode, but now that I that I kind of do know that, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's not so shocking that she's going to pass Grogu on to a Jedi who will come look for him, and she's gonna, you know, go after Grand Admiral Admiral Thawne and start her own series. Her bio says that she was introduced as the Jedi Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. She, she was. So so she was an actual Jedi. So, so she did like a Luke and she became a hermit and let her powers expire. 
clearly they didn't well, expire. I mean, she, yeah, she yeah. didn't let her powers expire. Um, and I, you could argue that neither did Luke's, but but she definitely became disenchanted by. And there was apparently some some certain things that went on that caused this, but but she became disenchanted with the Jedi Order and and left. Prior to Order sixty six, I believe. But but this really this this has always been my beef with the Jedi Order, right? When you watch Episode three, Yoda gets his ass kicked, and he's like, "Well, guess I got to go into hiding." And he just hangs out in the swamp <laughs> for twenty years and does nothing while the Emperor runs amok over the galaxy, and Ahsoka. You know, okay, great. She has some beef with the Jedi, so she decides I'm not going to do anything. Now, it may very well be when we get to her show that she's going to go chasing Grand Admiral Thrawn, and there's some sort of, you know, maybe she has some purpose in life. But right now, it's just another example of of a Jedi just shirking their responsibility as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I am... And and this is one of my controversial Star Wars feelings, but quite frankly, I'm happy that the Jedi Order got their fucking clock cleaned because I think they're all kind of wasted. And, you know, even mm. even Episode 8 Luke, you know, for most of that movie, you know, parrots some of that. Ultimately, he brought himself around, but, you know, th there's just, oh, it's annoying. That's my own. You thought you thought the particular cadre in episode three were just lost. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Mace Windu, Mace Windu was the only one. And, and this is a joke that I always have with my kids. I always like to I troll them by by you know giving Yoda grief, but you know that's that's just my thing. So when you th they're trying to set it up, they being Disney, right? They they're trying to set it up as you know the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have all these different stories and streams of and avenues of of interacting with your fans whether it's movies or tv shows or books or comics or whatever the case may be coloring books and you can you can mix and match the streams and take this part and put it over there and 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 do whatever so they're you know they're they're trying to sort of blanket the everything and they're they're trying to to set all this up now the interesting thing right the the the, the main arc of The Mandalorian, seasons one and two, is, you know, Din Djarin understanding what it means to be a Mandalorian and what it does not mean to be a Mandalorian, the connection between him and Grogu and ultimately delivering Grogu to the Jedi in the form of, of Luke Skywalker. So we've achieved that. Wonderful. The question becomes what happens next, right? Where does this go? So yeah. you're, you're already splitting off some of these characters. You know, Ahsoka, I believe Ahsoka is one of the people who's going to get her own, I think it's a limited series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she'll get her thing, so we'll get to follow that. Boba Fett obviously has his show coming up. We'll see what happens after, you know, after that for him. And Let's talk about him. Okay. I mean, he's way more down to earth than we know. <laughs> he's qu he's quite a curmudgeon. We 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 had no idea. Well, it's, it's he's. We don't know what happens when you're in the belly of a sarlacc. I mean, it can't right. be fun. <laughs> and and you know, let's. It's interesting. The the crate dragon 
in chapter nine lives in an abandoned Sarlacc pit. So right. is this in fact the same Sarlacc that ate, ate Boba Fett? And did Boba Fett kill it by escaping? You know, what is there some connection there, or is it just happy coincidence? Uh, it, I think it would make sense because you know when they are leaving that empty Sarlacc pit after they achieve killing the Crete dragon, that's when we when we see Boba Fett. Right. So he is there, although it would not really explain how his armor ended up away from there. That is true. There is a lot of heritage questioning going on in this show, just like the religion questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, absolutely. You know, Boba well, Fett, think- unaltered clone or bastard child? <laughs> I, th- I I thought that was interesting when 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 Bo-Katan started giving him crap, you know, I've yeah. heard your voice, you know, a thousand times before or whatever the case may be. You know, it was it, it there were I like the way that they they have the ability to sort of change the 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 polarization on, on that thing. Right. So, you, you, you know, the, the relationship, obviously, between Django Fett and his unaltered clone in the form of Boba and all of the the clone troopers that did all the things that they did. And and there was that one guy who was giving, and I don't even remember what the scene was, but he was giving, it may have been, I forget who it was, but someone grief about all the people who died when the Death Stars were destroyed. You know, and, mm. and, and, you know, millions of people died and everyone was cheering. And it's, you know, again, we know that the Empire is is undeniably evil and, and you know, they deserved it and all that other stuff. But it, it's interesting to at least have that perspective provided right oh brilliant observation um moff gideon himself you know saying i'm sure you killed all the people on the bridge right yeah yeah that just reminds me of of that clerk scene where they're debating the 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 more relatively the moral relative relative jesus relativity thank you of the first death star from the second death star (laughs) and they're talking they're talking about. Do you, do you remember the scene no. where they're where they're talking about how the first Death Star they killed all the people working for the Empire. So whether those guys deserved it or not, they were at least working for the bad guys. But they said, but the but the second Death Star was still under construction. So it was basically a bunch of contractors that were still there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just hysterical, it's hysterical. <laughs> So the, the the other the way it sets it up right so the question is what what happens to the Mandalorian in season three what is going to be interesting now we all know that I'm a ridiculous old man and I've spent you know most of my quarantine or at least the, the most of the last part of the, the the COVID quarantine watching TV show Dallas and much like after season three of Dallas when they had solved the mystery of who shot Jr which was mm-hmm. A huge thing. Yes. And, and it, it created the, the popularity of the show to a certain extent. They had to figure out, you know, how do you keep going? And it's interesting. I think, the, I think you know, I'm, I don't know. It could be anything. But they, there seem to be some pretty obvious clues in, in, uh, in Chapter 16 with regards to the Darksaber, the Bo-Katan's quest for Mandalore, and and how that's going to play out, right? It was funny, and it was supposed to be funny, with uh, with 
with Moff Gideon when he's like, oh, you're going to spare my life. This should be interesting. Yep. Because he knew what was going on. And so, of course, when he's on the bridge and he's explaining to, to Din, you know, the, the importance of, you know, winning the, the Darksaber in combat and yeah. how it doesn't do Bo-Katan any good without beating him. Um, you know, he was, he was deliberately goading, you know, her and into trying to attack him because that's what, that's what fun bad guys do, right? They, they, you know, they push people's buttons and get them to do things that they shouldn't do. And if nothing else, they certainly enjoy the ride while they're doing it. And, right. and, and Gideon did that very, very well, but it was, yeah, I, I think ultimately, Ken, to your earlier point, it, it seemed both a little out of character and hollow at the same time. Like it, it just, it was, it just didn't, it didn't work for me. Um, on some level. And, and that's too bad because the bulk of this series works straight through on so many levels. But one of the very key, is, is it fair to call Moff Gideon a device or a plot yeah. device? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. This, this plot device kind of fell short. I, I, it's yeah. almost like as good as they are with all the other bits, they, they almost didn't know what to do with it. I, I think, honestly, there's a lot of Chapter 16 that has that problem. I talked about, you know, the action sequences in Chapter 15, which I think are spectacular. But, you know, when you talk about the Dark Troopers and, and you know, them getting sucked out of the airlock and them flying back in and, and you know, beating on the blast doors, and it, it, there's just, there's a lot of that that I, I think just isn't quite as good as as the action sequences in in episode or chapter fifteen, so I I, th I think there was just there was a lot of I, I don't know exactly what happened. And again, don't get me wrong, it's still it's still good, it's still very enjoyable. Um, you know, it's just it. I, I think the previous chapter is is a lot better. Yeah. I mean, what is the remnant, the Imperial remnant that he is leading? What is their mission? And do you think Gideon answers to anyone? Well, I think that's, you know, and that's an interesting part about it. When you talk about Grand Admiral Thrawn, so before BD, before Disney, Timothy Zahn had written a trilogy of books around Grand Admiral Thrawn. And those yeah. original books were set in this same time frame, immediately after the, the fall of the, uh, of the Empire and the destruction of the second Death Star. And in fact, Grand Admiral Thrawn, being a Grand Admiral, was de facto the highest ranking Imperial officer that existed. And his job was to, you know, coalesce the, the remnants of the Empire and continue to wage the war on what was now the New Republic. Now, when Disney bought that and that was wiped out as canon, and, and I believe I mentioned this before, um, Timothy Zahn actually wrote a new trilogy of books, but it, it looks at, at Grand Admiral Thrawn much earlier in the timeline. So it looks at, at, um, at that, I believe, it, it, it sort of bridges the gap between episodes three and four. So in fact, in one of the books, 
it's it's a it's a tale of two times where Grand Admiral Thrawn had an adventure back in the day with Anakin Skywalker, and he gets sent on a mission with Darth Vader. And so there's this, you know, you, you can, and it sort of follows Thrawn trying to ascertain with a certainty if, in fact, you know, Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. Um, there are other things going on, but that's, that's you know, one of the subplots. Hmm. So it does leave open, um, you know, and the fact that they've invoked Grand Admiral Thrawn, it does leave open that fact of, you know, who is, in fact, in charge of all of this. And I think, Paul, to your earlier point, if if the Grogu experiments are designed to be assisting, you know, the, the little minion dudes um, who are trying to, to uh, you know, create um, Palpatine clones you know, maybe that's part of it. And, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how, how intricate a web they actually weave here. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I think, I think it it seems clear that Moff Gideon is not operating on his own, on his own motivations at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, now he, he is legitimately defeated in battle, but what is odd is they, Mando keeps him alive. So uh, it's not really clear what, if anything, happens to Moff Gideon. We, we, we assume that he lives and he shows up in, in some later episode. Uh, you'd have to imagine. Yep. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, and is, th- on the whole, he's a, very, he's, he's a very good bad guy, right? Breaking mm-hmm. Bad showed us that about this particular actor. And I, I think up until the sort of snarky bits in, in chapter 16, he was, he was maintaining that sort of persona. So I think there's value there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the snarky bits in 16 are just a distant outcome of wasting so much time in the first five episodes. They had to, you know, move the storyline. Right. Rather, rather than have, exposition to advance the main storyline right they wasted four episodes doing whatever yeah but what's it but but even so they they didn't really need to do that because if if you if you take the 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 thread of that and say that season three of the mandalorian is going to be about what happens in the mandalorian world right Mm -hmm that they go back to like reclaim Mandalorian or Mandalore. And there needs to be some showdown between Bo-Katan and Mando. Like they could have, they could have done that. Yeah. They could have done that with all of that, you know, frankly, like Scooby-Doo-ish kind of stuff happening at the end of of (laughs) episode 16 or chapter 16. (laughs) Scooby-Doo stuff. I mean, in, 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 in its basic form, we just the, 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 we haven't mentioned the dark saber yet. Uh, we did mention the dark troopers, but everything that Gideon has is dark. And <laughs> <laughs> Bo-Katan wants to win the dark saber, but ironically, uh, uh, Mando wins it. And 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 do we assume that he keeps it? Did we see? What- so when the dark troopers, when he first encounters the dark troopers, he a does not have the the dark saber, so that's not available to him. Ah, and, fair enough. And he ends up he actually ends up dispatching the one 
using the the Beskar spear or whatever you want to call it, which right. is a true Mandalorian weapon. Nice touch. Then when he does have the 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 dark saber, he's you know sequestered on the bridge with everyone else behind the blast doors, so he's not available to engage them. Plus, at that point, he's actively trying to give the dark saber to Bo-Katan. So I, I don't think he would want to pick it up at that point because I think even he's smart enough to know that he's in a bit of a sticky wicket with regards to this thing. I just wanted to see the damn dark saber take on the dark troopers. I didn't care if if, if, if Dark Jin had it. I, di I didn't care if Bogotan had it. I was just you know because ultimately, what did Luke use to get through these dark troopers? Sure, but a light. Yeah, but but you know, keep in mind there are a couple of different things here. And let's talk about the Dark Troopers for a second. Season 2 of The Mandalorian is full of Easter eggs, but not just Star Wars Easter eggs, because did anyone else feel that the Dark Troopers were rather Cylon-ish? <laughs> oh. oh, just a bit. I mean, it was it was painfully so. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they were kind of goofy, too. Um, but the other thing, and, and Ken, it was... It was amazing when you sent out the video that you did earlier, and and you know again for friends of the palaver, if we don't put this out on on YouTube, which I honestly think we should, but I appreciate if you think we should not, Ken. Um, Ken actually figured out and was playing the Mandalorian theme music, on, C minor, on on guitar. It was it was absolutely phenomenal, and the reason I bring that up is I was thinking about that today because I was asking my you know the the theme music itself is a fascinating sort of mixture of of you know what I perceive and I ha honestly have not watched a whole lot of spaghetti westerns but I mean that's the kind of music you normally hear mixed with Game of Thrones <laughs> and and Rocky and Rocky um it's totally <laughs> that whole do 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 is like right out of Clint Eastwood yeah 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 yeah, yeah. You know, so it and, and and it goes back to in the very beginning when we talked about this being a space western and everything else. But you know, so they're 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 really drawing in from a lot of different places. It's amazing, um, yeah. in in how they do that. So yeah, I, I don't know. But so let me ask the question, because again, I, I'm it, it's 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 ironic in a sense that you know i can i spend a whole lot of time thinking about these things and and when we do palavers i come up with these you know really intricate you know narratives and i weave everything together even if it's not there but i it sounds good to me but when i watch things in real time i i operate at a, a much less deep level um <laughs> it, it 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 really takes a while for things to sink into me so did did you guys know right away that the being in question was, in fact, Luke Skywalker? I mean, I was I was thinking it could be, but I didn't know for a fact until the big reveal. I'm sorry. The question part of it was... Did you know when a being popped out of an X-Wing and started swinging around a green lightsaber, did you know that it was Luke Skywalker? I was screaming either Luke or Ben Solo. I was just trying to... And we, who probably wasn't old enough at this point, but I was just reaching and grasping for, sure. you know. Yeah. Yeah, those I, those are the Jedis we know, right? Yeah. I didn't know. I, I mean, I can't say that I knew, but I couldn't figure out who else it could be, you know? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I was, you know, the 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 X-wing and the green saber were your two big clues, right? Right. You know, which was hard to detect on the 1976 monitor that they had on the um, <laughs> on the bridge. And it was actually black and white, wasn't it? <laughs> it was actually black and, and white and quite fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, uh, not quite HD. Yeah, I love that. That that, that gives me chills. To, 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 there, there's something about that element of removal or distance that makes it that much more exciting to look into the monitor. There, there was that. There was that sort of suspense of not knowing who it was, even though, you know, you think you know who it is, because who else could it be? But you don't really know who it is. And, and, and when you think about the way the series is set up, you know, they've, they've brought in a bunch of different disparate characters, yeah. and, and, and they're not afraid to create some new thing. I mean, it, it, they could very well have created some Jedi that we didn't know about, right. to sort of carry on, and, you know, that would have been the big introduction. But in retrospect, when you, when you stop and think about the the, the the sheer number of of Easter eggs and and corporate tie-ins that occur throughout season two, it had to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> it right. had to be. It had to. Be. Yeah. I mean, they brought back I mean, everyone else. Who? I mean, who else was left? Right. At that right. Point? Right. Right. Now. In reality, Mark Hamill didn't even have to be there because it was clearly some actor standing there and CGI with a young Hamill face, right? right. I mean, yep. that was not the actor, Mark Hamill. I want to say they credited him, though. He did. I mean, maybe he did the voice or I something. I think he, he did do the voice of that. I don't think he had to... I don't think he had to do any of the acting. I think you're right, Ken. It was a younger... Uh, yeah, there was no actor. need for his current face. It was very much a uh, CGI rendering of the... the Correct. He, actually, he looked very Empire-ish to me in that rendering for yeah. some reason. It, it was a little... Like I said, the, 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 the CGI rendering was a little bit off, much in the same way um, they did Carrie Fisher at the end of, of Rogue One. Exactly. That was I a, agree. a little weird. Uh, yeah, only- so it was a... CGI version of Hamill's de-aged likeness digitally animated over a body double okay. with use of motion capture. And I totally agree. And in fact, there is a video on YouTube that uh, there was, there was some, like some dude, some YouTube guy like took the scene off of, you know, Disney plus downloaded it and then re redid the scene with better, literally better CGI graphics of Mark Hamill's face than what oh, Disney you're did. Kidding, really? Because he because oh he God. used some he used some other technique or something like that. And it, the you know the article was basically like, okay, what? How is it that Disney spends all this money and they can't do it as as good as some dude in his basement? You know, with like you know five hundred dollars software. <laughs> it's a very boyish rendering that we ended up with from Disney. Yeah. Yeah, and very unemotional, like the face, like right. very. Although I, I don't necessarily argue with that because I felt like that's how Luke Skywalker was portrayed in Return of the Jedi. He become he became much less that boyish sort of, you know, crazy sort of wild and young, and he was much more composed and less fun. I was with them hook, line, and sinker through that whole ending. Right up until Grogu bonded with R2. <laughs> it was so not necessary. So it's, it, 
It's interesting, right? R2-D2 is, is the, the glue that binds every Star Wars together. A couple of weeks ago, when I finished this, I don't know exactly when it was. Um, it was after I had finished it the first time. I came across an, an article on the internet, um, on Inverse, I guess, and it, it talks about the importance of Luke's big Mandalorian moment. Hmm. And they, they it, it doesn't really go anywhere, but it, it's interesting to maybe just put out on the table because they talk about the the parallels between Luke's arrival in the Mandalorian and taking out the, the, the Dark Troopers to Anakin's arrival at the Jedi Temple and taking out all the younglings. Hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, the, the dark cloak, the, you know, wanton, you know, destruction and, and everything else. And, and the, the, the point they tried to make is, as it's relayed to us, Grogu was at the Jedi Temple. So right. Grogu may have been present for the murdering of the younglings. We don't exactly know wow. how he got out, but this is the supposition here. And there's, and I don't know if I necessarily buy into this, but I'm just telling you what they said. So, you know, they're, so Grogu's watching on the black and white TV monitor with everyone else and, you know, could be having some sort of a PTSD moment reliving yeah. the the massacre of the younglings by Anakin in the Jedi Temple. But ultimately, when, you know, Luke comes in and reveals his face, it is not Anakin Skywalker. It is Luke Skywalker. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. And and so the, the only reason, the reason, part of the reason I bring this up is when, you know, I, I wonder if there's something then about, you know, is, is R2-D2 tying those two things together as well? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think so, because R2-D2 seems to not be able to tie anything together, because that droid could have saved the universe like three times <laughs> in, 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 the, in the Star Wars saga. That's like the, that is like the biggest, I mean, for me, it's the biggest faux pas in all of the nine Star Wars movies, is when, like, when Ben Kenobi goes don't seem to remember ever owning any droids. And it's like, what? <laughs> it's fair. Definitely fair. So I, I'm sure there's a lot more that we could talk about, but we've been going on for quite some time here this evening. And, you know, I think generally speaking, and again, we know we are old, cynical, curmudgeon middle-aged men. So we know what's coming and what's coming is the commercial domination of everything um, by Disney through either Star Wars or Marvel. And so, you know, Marvel, they've already shown us what they're going to do with Marvel and, and, and clearly, you know, like I said, they're setting us up for, you know, okay, so maybe we're not going to get five different series of movies coming out, but we're going to have five different TV shows to watch. <laughs> You know, through, yeah. through the, the Disney streaming service. And, and and I say that just to sort of, you know, be upfront about, you know, the, the commercial driver here. Let's let's understand what we're dealing with here. It's a, com you know, it, it's, it's a commercial proposition. I get that. I understand that. But I will say that if they continue to produce content of this quality even with the airing of grievances that we had mm -hmm. i will gladly consume 
and I will gladly give Disney, you know, my seven bucks a month or whatever the hell it is. And I'm sure once they have five Star Wars, you know, series going and and ten different Marvel, it'll probably go up to twelve bucks a month. Whatever. Um, <laughs> if they keep making episodes and and shows like this, that in general look this good, tell compelling stories, I will happily watch. Can I tell my uh, Disney Plus story? Oh, please. All right. I, I did watch it on uh, the computer in a browser initially. And then I watched some episodes on the phone. And I, you know, mentioned to my girlfriend, I wanted to catch up on some of these for the palaver and, and get through the Mandalorian. And we watched a couple, but damn it, we looked up her samsung tv couldn't load it there looked up the dvd player couldn't load dv there did the reading pretty much need like a fire stick or something and we we're just like damn it to hell and just ended up watching it on the chromebook um so just just you know it, it, I, I i guess i appreciate that these episodes in disney plus are available for a very affordable fee and there 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 are some options for viewing but damn it to hell if you're going to make people buy new televisions <laughs> <laughs> like this is the uh, commercial world in which we live mm. how yeah. does it play out for you guys do you fire stick or uh browsers or where i do have you get a your... fire i cut the cord last year with cable so i have mm -hmm. a fire stick and um I pretty much just use like Hulu, YouTube, Netflix, Disney Plus. That's pretty much all I watch. It's a little bit of ESPN every now and again. Oh, we even tried an old Roku, but you couldn't add it there. Oh, yeah. I, I've had I've had trouble. I have an old iPad that can no longer be updated to operating systems, and Disney mm -hmm. Plus won't work on that. Ah, frustrating. Um, but it does work on my Samsung phone with no problem. Hmm. Um, yeah, likewise. Yeah, Samsung phone. So, yeah, Joe, how do you consume? I either watch it on my iPad, which can be updated, or on my <laughs> Xbox. Now, <laughs> uh, no, I had not considered that one. Okay, the Xbox. That's an interesting angle. I. You know, around the commercial, like I mean, one of the things that's that's really probably a little bit, I mean, I, we, I should probably be more annoyed about this than I am, is that a great deal of season two of The Mandalorian was seemingly a launch pad for other shows. Yeah. And and so it's, it's like the scene in a Christmas story where he gets the uh, the secret decoder ring, and and he, he's listening to the radio and he's copying down the numbers and 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 translating it with his little secret decoder ring, and it tells him to drink more Ovaltine. And it's like a crummy <laughs> commercial. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That is perfect. Yet. Yet I'm not. I should be offended more by this than I am, but I'm really not because, to your point, Joe, the quality is really good, and the the story sits on its own. We do get to the end of the plot, even though we're a little bit delayed. There is a lot of what turns out to be connective tissue in those first five episodes, 
that have have not only piqued my interest into future programs that they have, but have actually made me start going back and watching cartoons for crying out loud. And that's, so, that, I mean, doesn't that really tell the story? Yeah, <laughs> it really does. I mean, how does one consume the Clone Wars now? Now that you guys are getting me hooked, Disney where Plus. do I go next? Disney Plus, yeah. Okay. Right. But I, but I would say that there's a lot. There's probably a lot to learn about the in the Clone Wars. But I think the payoff for the stuff that is mostly in season two is the, is in Rebels. Mm. And and it's it's less less to watch because I think I think Rebels is going to detail a little bit more about planet Mandalore and the Mandalorians and Jedi. Bo-Katan shows up in that, doesn't she? Yeah, I was you know I was I tried to get my kids to engage in a conversation on the interesting relationship between. The clones and the Mandalorians, given that the clones came from Boba Fett, who was or was, or Jango Fett, who was or was not a Mandalorian, depending on how you define it, they yeah. didn't really want to have that conversation. So that was kind of a bummer. But mm. I, I, I thought that was, <laughs> I, I thought there was something there to, uh, to to chew on. I think there are, I think there are some open questions, Joe. To your point about the different factions of mandalorian creed and what's required of the leader of mandalore to come back and take the throne which i think parallel some of the questions that we had about the jedi and that there are splinters within the jedi even now um after you know the 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 empire has been defeated that there are, you know, like you look at Ahsoka, who is technically not a Jedi, but definitely Force-sensitive, but certainly does not subscribe at this point to the same ideals that, say, Luke Skywalker does. And it's interesting that there are these parallel strings going together of these different creeds. And if you consider the Jedi a religion, um, how, that, how that could potentially play out mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah, I, I you know I think they've they've set the table, so we'll see where they can take it. Yeah, yeah. but um, you know I, I think I think we've talked enough about this this time. I I, I appreciate you know. Are take, you sure? Are you? I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I, I I actually have some work. <laughs> we, we didn't have any pie charts. We did. <laughs> I saved my pie charts for progressive rock, but uh, I I do certainly appreciate. You know, you guys taking the time to to you know talk about this. It's a shame that Tom couldn't be here tonight. Oh yeah, to you know to talk about some of this because I'd love to get his perspective on on some of these things. Hi, little Grogu, and and Ken. Obviously, you know, many thanks to you for figuring out ways to to access Disney Plus <laughs> and and watching <laughs> this entire you know series in in relatively short order. Yeah, well done, Kenny G. While doing all your regular things that you normally do such as working and and whatnot. So, um yeah, it, I mean there was there was no small amount of effort here for what essentially amounts to a little side gig for us. But, you know, again, it we do I, I enjoy talking Star Wars with you guys and the episodes seem to do pretty well. So, you know. 
I'm sure we'll be I'm sure we'll be talking more as as different things come out and uh you know who knows maybe we'll we'll do something else Star Wars related here uh in in the coming months who knows we'll see but anyway appreciate your time guys and uh look forward to getting back to uh to talking about some progressive rock music and and maybe later on in the year making some pie charts this is the way hope you've enjoyed this star wars episode of progressive palaver as always we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and please if you have any thoughts comments feedback or questions on the mandalorian mandalorian culture um ascendancy to the mandalorian throne whatever you may have you know, we welcome you to share that with us you can uh reach us on um Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Progpala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and yes, finally, Pandora. Yeah, Look it up. Pandora. Or presumably, wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.